the Shegulola Salami Show. I'm Shegulola Salami, and the Shegulola Salami Show is a podcast show set in a virtual cafe. I'm just really excited today because it's a really nice sunny day in London. Um, the last few days have been almost nonstop rain, so it's been really nice to see the sun come out today. Um, if this is your first time listening to the show, the show is set in a virtual cafe. So I have, you know, a new guest each week and we have virtual drinks and just have a conversation, you know, where I get to know more about my guests. My guests can be authors or non-authors, but the show is about books and publishing, but possibly maybe not the way you're used to or familiar to if you listen to podcast shows um, about books and publishing. The main aim of the show is to either educate, motivate, or inspire the listener. But one thing that is guaranteed is that you will learn or you will discover a new book because the guests are either authors or will make a book recommendation based on their specialty. Um, so happy listening. If you do like listening to the show, please do um, write a review, share it with everyone in your network. I would really appreciate it. So without much ado, who have I got in the virtual cafe with me today? Hey, it's uh, Ajay Chamas uh, from uh, from Dubai. It's quite sunny all the year here, all around, and it's good to have coffee with you. Hello, HJ. I can definitely say you're the first podcast in the show from Dubai. Like, it just makes me feel good that you know people in Dubai agree to listen to my show. So, yes, hey, wow, hello. It's a privilege for me. Hi, hey, hey, everyone. So, it is a virtual cafe. What can I offer you first of all? So I'll have my usual skinny latte, so a low-fat milk with a double shot espresso. Okay, and what is your, do you like pastries? What is your favorite pastry if you do like pastries? Um, I like the, uh, with the coffee usually I go with the sponge cake, so it goes well with it usually. Nice, nice, I do like sponge cakes. My yeah. favorite the Victoria sponge is is very it's very yum, 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 yum. <laughs> wow. Now you, know, you made me hungry now. <laughs> okay. Well, it is a virtual cafe. I always think of it as being very Star Trek-y. Like anything you can imagine, you can have it. So I will sh- I'm sure my virtual cafe can get you a nice Victoria sponge to go with your drink. How does that sound to oh, you? That's wonderful. Thank you. Cool. So whilst the virtual cafe is doing its business, um, can you tell me more about yourself? Yeah, definitely. So uh, I'm a multi-award winning author uh, uh, in the categories of personal finance, uh, business and real estate investing. For a start, I'm no one special. And what I mean by that, that I'm neither a guru nor any person with uh, any special abilities to make himself rich. I just learned some simple secrets from great mentors who I met in my life and applying those secrets have really helped me transform my life from a state of financial ruin to a state of financial freedom in less than seven years. And, and the thing is, I've done all of that while still being in a full day job and hence my book's title, The Employee Millionaire. Okay. The Employee Millionaire, is that what you said? Yes, yes. My book is The Employee Millionaire, yeah. Okay. So when did you publish it? The book was published in the June of 2018, so it's almost a year now. Uh, and and uh, since it was published, it has won a couple of awards. So actually it won three awards and has been nominated for 
a few more. So crossing my fingers on the results that are due to, to be in June, July, and August this year. Okay, cool. So how did you get into writing it, the, the millionaire employee? That, that sounds really intriguing. How did you get into it? Um, actually, it's, it's, a, it's a funny story that I, I never had any intention to be an author or a writer. Uh, the thing came that, uh, you know, I, I learned some, some simple secrets from my mentors and it, okay. they really did me well and they transformed my life. So what happened to us, when my wife and I got the news that we're going to expect a new baby to the world in nine months time, yeah. there was something inside of me that triggered me to open my PC, open my laptop and just try to write down, write down all the learnings I've got in my life so that my child, when they start their career in the future, they can learn from those learnings and not do the mistakes I've done in my life. Okay. Yeah, and then uh, when, I, when I started to write it, it's my wife then, uh, when she read the manuscript, she told me that I'm kind of selfish and I told her, why Joyce, why do you tell me selfish? And she told me that you have great content here and not sharing this content with the world, it's, it's really kind of an act of selfishness. Oh, and dear. from there, I really, yeah. <laughs> and from there, I approached a, a, a publisher that helped me to, to, to publish the book. And from there, you know, you can, you can guess that because it was initially intended for my child, there's a lot of sincerity in sharing information uh, that really transformed my life. But also at the same time, when I wanted to really uh, fine tune it to, to fit uh, all, all readers, um, two main things really drove me to write it. So it's, it's a sense of responsibility to share what worked well for me and share it with yeah. the others, but also it's a sense of purpose. And you know, throughout my career and my life, I've identified my sense of purpose, which is adding value to people's life. And in, the, in, yeah. in this book, yeah. I really want to pass it forward and really share uh, what worked well for me and maybe it can help others as well. Okay. So after your wife's, you know, after your wife's comment, you know, saying you were selfish, when was the breaking point? Did you immediately decide, great, I'm going to make this into a book? Or was it some time afterwards? You know, the, the, in, in, in the new publishing industry, uh, what I learned recently, you do not need to be a writer to publish a book. So what yeah. I've done here, I, I've written a lot of notes and, and uh, I, I, it's like a memoir for me. It's like what happened in my life and some stories and what happened with my mentors, which was really meant more than like, to, to, to be for my child. Mm. Now, when I shared it with the publisher, you know, the, in the publishing industry, they have the right editors and copywriters, and they really polished my script and my manuscript, actually, to make it fit the, the international standards for a published book. Yeah. Okay. So, and sorry, I think I'm sort of missing it. So, did you go with a publisher or did you self-publish? I self-published with a publisher. So, uh, you know, that there are two options. Yes, you can either independently publish it yourself. Yeah. Publisher, and you invest with them. So, and that's the model I've, I've went through. So I okay. went with a publisher called Partridge and uh, I invested money, but they, they provided all the, uh, all the know-how uh, on, 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 on in publishing to really bring my book to life. And they're quite a credible company uh, and they're part of uh, Penguin Random House. So then I thought, yeah, it could be a good thing that to really join hands with them and uh, publish my book. Okay. 
Okay, cool. So what was the process? How did you find this one? Why did you decide to go with this company over any of the other ones? I think it was more of a, of a chance uh, because when, when my wife told me that, uh, I thought I, I really I didn't want to make her. So I, I, wa I wanted to make sure, yeah, I'm listening to you and I'll try to do it, you know? Mm. So I, when, when I Googled the publisher, they were on top of the list. I sent them an email in two, in, with, the, with, the, with the manuscript. In two weeks' time, they called me and they told me, wow, we're interested and uh, we, we, we had a deal. It was really kind of incidental in a way. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And how, how was your journey? So they've done all the work in getting your book published. What's, then, what's been your experience since then? Yeah, and here actually is when, when I published my book now, it's when I started to have the, the experience of, uh, you know, how, how to market a book and uh, bring it to the audience. Uh, because I did not, I did not plan for anything in advance, and I had to learn the the the, the, the ropes while 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 in the business in a way, yeah. So what happened here? I launched the book. Uh, initially, there was very little, uh, you know, uh, people knowing about it, so there was not really a demand or the the awareness about the book was very low. So we started to do some uh, uh, campaigns on uh, social media on. Uh, on Amazon, on Goodreads, uh, and uh, to, to, to really raise the awareness of, of the book. And then we started to go more on YouTube, like have a kind of a, a trailer on the book, and then some investment on Google, on some keywords about uh, you know, real estate and investment and stuff like that. And then what we, what we realized, yeah, there was more pickup and more people were reading the book. And then we said, okay, for people to read it, they need to see what others are saying about it. So we started to build a database. And with this database, try to really get uh, honest reviews from, from readers. And slowly, slowly, when the reviews started to, to, to build up, uh, I, I could see that there was more momentum in the book. Then we said, okay, uh, maybe we need a more credible uh, reviews. And then uh, we, you know, we, we, we approached the, uh, the book awards. So there are a handful of uh, book awards in the US and the UK. So I, we approached them, we sent them the manuscript, we got nominated. And then we, when the book won three awards, and this is when I saw a kind of a, a turning point that, oh, it's, it's, a tipping, it, uh, it's a tipping point, in fact, even. And we started to see the demand accelerating. And even my version of the book, I have an abridged version called the Personal Workbook. So the Employee Millionaire Personal Workbook, it's now on the top six to seven globally in real estate investing on Amazon. Wow. Yep. Okay, so now I'm quite, you know, because if everyone likes your book so much, you know, and it's, you know, doing so well, I'm intrigued. What can you tell me about your book? You know, how can I... Um, how can I basically use my day job, you know, to become a millionaire with rental properties? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great question. And actually, look, the fact of the matter is, you know, there are lots of books out there and we hear a lot of, uh, you know, uh, financial gurus speaking about the importance of investing, uh, of investing in income producing assets so that the person can get passive income in excess of their expenses. So it's not a hidden secret here. 
But what I realized that although that this was a general knowledge, you know that uh, nearly 80% of the American workers said they're living paycheck to paycheck, and that's according to an article published uh, by CNBC in, on January of this year, 2019. So when I started to do my research, I realized that a lot of people subscribe to a set of limiting beliefs. I, I will like, list a few of them, like it takes money to make money, or investing is complicated and risky, or investors have specific knowledge that I cannot have, or sometimes they feel that successful investors have a crystal ball that enables them to time the market. And, and, and all those limiting beliefs actually are, we, we generate them in our own mind, and they are really far from the truth. So what, I, what my book covers are three simple secrets that my great mentors taught me. Now, understanding those secrets really will enable almost anyone to use their day job and build wealth, and all the while they're still employed. And in that way, they will transform those limiting beliefs to what I call empowering beliefs. So I will list those three secrets for you. And I gave them some funny names just for, for me, for people to remember them. So secret number one is what I call the Trump's art of the deal. And we know from the book of, uh, of the President Trump about the art of the deal, mm. it's, it's about the power of leverage or how to use someone or something to maximum advantage. So uh, in that way, <clears throat> what I realized that having a job actually was an advantage because banks, uh, so lending, lending institutes or banks like to lend to people who has a regular income with a good track record of paying their debt obligations and with a sensible plan for investing what they're borrowing. And uh, if you look at this, property or real estate is a secure investment and banks have secure investment because such an investment can be put as a collateral to secure the loans. And with this in mind now, anybody with a regular job can borrow from 75% and in some cases up to 100% of the price of a property and start earning passive income from the rent. So uh, moving to uh, secret number two is what I call the Henry Ford plug and earn. So uh, we all know that uh, uh, Mr. Ford really commercialized or made a system how to bring mass production of cars to the, to the, to the mass. So he created the process. And in a similar fashion, investors or wannabe investors, they need to follow a proven blueprint which is a step-by-step -step process that requires not them no special ability to learn and execute. I should let's, let's think of it like that. If somebody is employed, they don't have too much time or too much money. So they need a system that does not require them to reinvent the wheel and lose time. And they want a system also that kind of guarantees outcome and therefore not lose money in the process. So having such a system we really minimize time and money lost, and therefore I would call it, it minimizes risk. And then, then the secret number three, which builds on top of both secrets, is what I call the Arnold Schwarzenegger reps. <laughs> so we all know that, <laughs> I know we laughed at this one, I know, I knew that. So as you know, uh, Mr. Schwarzenegger, he, he's famous for a quote about, you know, to, to get the maximum results, you need to do a lot of repetitions. And then he said that the last few reps are the most important thing to getting you the results. And in a similar process now, when it goes to investing in rental properties, if you have a process or a system, which we said in, in secret number two, you just need to repeat it, replicate the process over and over, one property at a time, 
and without giving up. And in that way, it helps <clears throat> from moving steadily from, an, from any person's current financial situation to financial freedom. And those are the three secrets that really my book, uh, as, as a helicopter review, speaks about uh, on how to really transform one situation, uh, or my situation in that case, from a financial ruin. I was really deep in debt to financial freedom in a, in a short span of time. Yeah. Well, you're, you know, the three steps that you mentioned, you know, they do make sense. But let me sort of do or act like devil's advocate and sort of go from London property point of view, right? Because mm-hmm. I like to learn, right? And hopefully maybe I will learn something for you, from you today that I hadn't originally thought about. <clears throat> okay, so okay. in the early 2000s, so let's say between sometime between 2006, 2007, 2008, in the UK, or should I say London, for instance, because I live in London, there used to be something called 100% mortgages, right? And mm-hmm. normally what they would do if you were trying to get a mortgage is they, the underwriter would use your income and use a multiplier. And depending on the underwriter, it could be anything between four to five times your income, right? Mm-hmm. And... Yeah. The average income the last time I checked in the UK, and again, this is me just picking up a figure and I'm not 100% accurate, is about, you know, last time I heard, I think it was like 25,000, let's even call it 30,000 pounds, right? So now we don't have 100% mortgages in the UK anymore. And like you rightly said, you know, you could get a mortgage, you know, that is up to, you could... You could get, you know, you only need to come up with a deposit depending on the scheme that you're working on, possibly 10%, you know, so you you know, but then now with London, right, the average cost of a good property, for instance, let me even go on the low side and say, and because where I live in London, you know, this is not even central London and, you know, a flat, you could easily look about 500,000 pounds. Um, but let's even go even smaller than that and say, you know, it's a 25,000, it's 250,000 pounds for a property. Now, if your income is 30,000 pounds and they were going to do a multiplier of five times your income, mm-hmm. you're not going to get sufficient mortgage to cover a 250,000 pounds property in London unless you go to say somewhere like Wales, for instance, or you go up North, for instance. Yeah. Yeah. I totally understand that. So actually um, on, on this point, uh, what you just have mentioned about the multiplier, I think in my opinion, and because I already also invested in the UK as well. So okay. it's, it's missing one important piece of information. Okay. So if you allow me to explain how, how this works. Yeah. Yes, so please. usually lenders, when they want to study somebody's eligibility for a loan, they study something called debt to income ratio. They call it DTI, yeah? So DTI is a percentage which, which is computed by dividing one's monthly total debt payments, for example, your uh, personal loan or mortgage loan or credit card payments. So they divide all the sum over your gross monthly income. So now banks, depending on, on, on the countries, 
they usually they go they want a low DTI because the lower the DTI the, the, the debt to income ratio that means you have a good balance between debt to income and they look at an at a figure of 50% and below yeah so and and this is all always uh, an information that people miss they think they, they should, it's all only about their income but now the banks also takes into consideration how much of your income are you paying on your debt obligations so now as you can have as, as you might guess to lower to lower your dti you have two options you have either to either to increase your gross income or to lower your total monthly debt obligations yeah now or both actually as you have as you might have guessed on the short run very few people have the option of increasing their income yeah so if somebody is employed they cannot go to their boss and tell them, hey boss, I want a 50% raise, you know? <laughs> so they yeah. think they're out of their mind. So, so on the short run, uh, and people need to manage their, their, their debt payments. So, uh, so the, the, and, and in that way to lower their debt obligations. So a quick, a pragmatic approach is uh, either to, you know, like pay off some of the debt or to go for longer terms or to reschedule their, their debts with other lenders at lower interest and longer terms. So now when they reduce their DTI to lower than 50%, here again, banks will be willing to lending them. Now for the second part of the question is about what type of property and definitely. So uh, it's always, so if, if, if I'm eligible for a certain loan, uh, it all depends now on how, how big is my income, you know? So uh, if, if a property of London in London is out of my league, it's okay. In the short run, I can go and invest in the suburbs or go north or south or any other major city and start, you know, earning passive income from the rent. So now when you start to earn passive income from the rent, going back to the DTI, which is debt to income, your income will increase and eventually you'll be eligible for more and more loans. So, that, so there will come a time when you have too much passive income from those smaller properties, and then when you build it up, you can start to qualify for larger and larger properties. Like in my case, I started in studio apartments, very small ones, uh, and then slowly, slowly started to, to get to bigger ones, and now I'm specializing in villas and townhouses, you know? So, but I never started in townhouses. I had to start small and build my experience and build my credibility with the banks, uh, and and uh, you know learn the ropes of the trade and start to scale up my, my business. So I hope this have answered your your question. No, it does. It does because I think for a lot of times I just think well I'm in London so it makes sense because I will be I will be honest and I've had this conversation with friends where I find maybe because I'm not yet as well traveled as I would like but I find the idea of investing in other countries quite scary. Uh, it is scary if you don't know what you're doing. So uh, what I always tell to my students on, on my coaching courses, um, if you want to start investing in something that you don't understand, it's pretty much like gambling. So you always have to do your homework, you have to study what you're investing in and study the market you're investing in. Uh, and then, but, but, but the beauty of a process, which I spoke about in secret number two a while ago, is Example, in my process, I teach people how they can leverage other people. You know, in leverage, you don't only leverage money, you, you leverage other people's time. And in that case, for example, I have properties in Spain, in the UK, in Dubai, in Philippines. So, but I'm based in Dubai now, yeah? 
and pretty soon I'm gonna invest in the US as well. And this is how I use, uh, you know, like the property managers and leverage them and sign contact with them. They take a small fee, but they help me manage those properties remotely and they look after my interest in those properties. Interesting. So talk, so let's say now, okay, great. I'm just trying to, let's, let's use someone, right? But then how do you, so again, I'm talking about it from a UK, from a London point of view, mm -hmm. right? Because it was actually, yeah. this, I think it was a, last week's episode or one of the previous episodes recently that I had recorded. And I said to the person, because again, we we're talking about um, money. And I had said that, you know, there is a woman who her daughter, no, her son, used to mm -hmm. go to the same nursery as my daughter. My daughter no longer goes to that nursery because we moved house. And she's a professor and her husband is a professor. And there was a time where she posted a comment on Facebook to say that, you know, she doesn't understand where the UK is, go the UK is going financially because two professors, university professors, by the time they finished paying all their, you know, monthly obligations, financial obligations, they don't have any disposable income. So the ability to save is almost gone. So how does someone then raise the deposit? Because, you know, banks are not going to give you 100%. Yeah. So, yeah. So uh, there are two approaches here, actually. So in, in the, first of all, um, as I mentioned a while ago, you need to consolidate your debt. So I will, the three quick approaches are reduce the revolving loan limits. So those examples, if you have a credit card limit of 10,000 pounds and you know that you don't need to have the, all this 10,000 pounds a month, why don't you lower it to 2,000 pounds, you know? And if, or 3,000, depending on how much you use on your credit card, because the lender will always assume you will have, you will get your hands on all the cash on those credit cards or what we call revolving loans. And then uh, the second advice I would recommend here is uh, pay off those high interest revolving loans. So you know that, for example, the card loan was higher interest than a personal loan. So uh, sometimes it might me make a, a wise move to start of saying, okay, I will, uh, I will take a personal loan with a longer term and pay off those credit cards. And then that way I lower my debt obligations. And the third option is, to really uh, uh, get a new loan from another lender for longer terms, lower interest, to buy out the other loans, and this will minimize your debt, your monthly debt obligation. Now, the other part of your question was how to get this uh, initial payment for your for your property, and this is what I call here. Uh, there are a couple of options. So, first of all, if you have some savings, beautiful. But in case you don't have savings, you can always tap into, if you have an existing personal, personal home, you have an equity in it, you can always tap into your equity by refinancing this property. And this is actually is one of the cheapest uh, forms of, 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 of borrowing. So you have a property, you put it, uh, you refinance it, you get a mortgage on it. It's a really long term, low interest. You get this cash tax free, by the way, you don't pay tax on this cash because it's a kind of a loan. But now with this cash in, in hand, this is where you go and start uh, paying it for a down payment. Now the third solution, this becomes a bit more sophisticated. So I tend to uh, use it, but this is quite also specific 
depending on the you know the league the, the laws in your city so for example in some cities what happens is the lender will give you money let's say let's say 80% loan on the on the value of the property not on how much you're going to buy it so that means if you're a good negotiator you follow process which i spoke about in my book i always in in my in, in my criteria my my i purchase properties that that are around 18 to 22% below market price you know so now when i go to the lender and appraise those properties let's suppose a property is $100,000 in the market i usually buy that 80,000 but when i go to the lender the lender will $100,000 and they're willing to give the asset is actually the deal I'm going to sign with the uh, with the seller. So in that way, uh, if the laws in, in a city allows to do that, this is a beautiful way of uh, really buying properties with almost uh, zero down in a way. Ah, right. So the document would say 100000 but you would actually buy it for 80000 Yeah, but, and what you do to protect yourself and the, and the seller here, so also, you have to check the laws in your county as well, as I always say, is uh, some banks, you can be transparent with them. They have property value. I don't care for how much you're buying it. Uh, and this is how they evaluate it. Some other markets, they say no. It's depending on the contract with the seller. So what I usually do as part of a small trick, we, we, we sign a clause in the contract that I, we, I paid the seller an amount of, let's say in that example, $20,000 which is non-refundable in any specific circumstance you know so whatever happens to the deal i'm, I'm not gonna claim this, this money back from them so this acts as a protection to the seller but yeah they're protected in case the deal will not push through but for me in the eyes of the bank it's gonna look like a hundred thousand dollar deal and they're gonna finance eighty thousand from it and in that way uh, i can get almost all of the price of the property as a, in the form of the loan Ah, but, but please again, you have to consult with the local lo local city laws, you know, because yes, I know, because I'm thinking that sounds really dodgy, right? <laughs> Those are the things of the trade. I've done it a lot uh, in Dubai, in the Philippines. Uh, I've done it in the UK as well, in <laughs> some of the cities. But you know, it gets more complicated the more sophisticated the market is. Yeah, right. Interesting. Interesting. Because in my mind, I'm thinking, that sounds dodge. That sounds very dodge. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess, you know, if, if it's something that is legal, again, I do not know the legalities of any of these things, but, you know, if it's something that is legal and, you know, it can help you, someone get on the property ladder. So please, ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening to this, I have to reiterate, make sure you check the law of the land. Please do not say yeah, that you got into trouble because I don't know this, right? HJ, he's the expert here. And, you know, he said he's done it in the UK. He's done it in the Philippines. He's done it in Dubai. So possibly in your country, it might be legal. I don't know. Please don't, don't quote, don't quote my yeah. issue. I don't want somebody saying to his lawyer, HHMA said that. No, you have to check with the lawyer, please, always. Yes, please. <laughs> okay, cool. But then what if somebody doesn't, so we're going to round up five tips. Someone who has no deposit, no mm -hmm. property that they can fall back on, 
doesn't have a credit card, doesn't use, very rarely uses credit cards or uses very little credit spending on their credit card, what tips would you recommend that someone who is employed but with zero deposit, zero equity, how can they get on the property ladder? So in that case, given that they, have, they don't have, a, like the starting point is almost like a zero because yeah. they don't have a property to, to, to bank on or to refinance. Yeah. So yeah. I have two simple advice. You know, always people look at their income. Oh, I have a good salary or a good income. And that's a mistake because the, the more the salaries increase over time, the more the spending will usually increase. So I tell people, you know, that's half of the equation. Guys, please look at your expenses. So each person of us needs to have a financial statement as a business. So look at, at yourself as a business. And actually I have a personal financial statement for me every month. And in that way, I start to look at my expenses, evaluate what's essential and what's discretionary. And in that case, I, I will start uh, reducing my discretionary expenses so that my net cash flow, which is income minus expenses, becomes positive. And now this excess cash flow I start to, to, to save it and preferably in, in, in something that earns me interest so they can compound over time. Until such time, I can have a down payment to invest in a small property as, again, if you're starting small, you don't need to go to invest in London uh, the downtown and pay a million pounds for a property. No, you can go a bit, <laughs> you can go a bit uh, out of town and get a decent uh, 100,000 or less property start with it and make and you know and over time uh, you will you will you will get there because your 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 income from the rent will qualify for more and more cash flow and and, and more savings and more loans from the banks and you know it's like a it's like snowball effect but snowball in a, in a positive way you know you start to grow bigger over time yeah yeah no that makes so much sense so tell us again what is the name of your book and if someone wants to contact you how can they do so yeah so my name uh, my, the name of the book is uh, the employee millionaire how to use your day job to become a millionaire with rental properties um, so people can reach me on my website which is www.employeemillionaire.com and uh, on my social media which is facebook employee millionaire uh, also on Instagram, Employee Millionaire, and on my Twitter, which, which is HJ Chamas. Now, also for all the listeners of today's show, I would like to uh, offer them a free ebook, which really tackles a lot of the questions you were asking today uh, about how to get your finances in order and, uh, you know, how to do for your income, increase your income, minimize your expenses, get your finances in order. And this book is called The Four Stages of Building Wealth. And from myonair.com forward slash this and i'm sure it will help the readers a lot to really understand the basic the basics on personal finance awesome well it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you on the show and hopefully you'll come back again sometime soon definitely looking forward to it sure okay well ladies and gentlemen that was hj chamas um it's the Shekilola Salami Show. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, please write a review, share it with everyone in your, um, in your network, because who knows, someone might be listening, looking out for an opportunity to learn about how to 
invest in property. So thank you very much for taking the time to listen to the Shagilola Salami show. Until next time now, bye.